Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Uh, tonight, I'm going to spend some time talking about the precision of the Word of God and um uh, I want to spend some time on that, but I feel like I need to share some pictures with you as well from our big trip abroad. So I'm going to say a prayer, kind of like over the message that I may or may not get to. And then I want to show you just a few pics because uh, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. But Father, I pray that you just speak to our hearts tonight, God, and just uh, challenge us. Let us know how carefully you've planned everything that has to do with our redemption and if you did all of that then you know exactly where we are each of us lord because you are god and you're able and you are capable of handling our situations and we give you praise for for all of that in jesus name everybody say amen so nicole i know i sent you just like random pics so let's kind of start with some of those that uh, I said were not part of the sermon. Now, every sermon, every message I have, I have pictures to go along with it. And so I'm going to try not to, like, kill you with that. But first of all, I turned on the television in Jerusalem, and Raiders of the Lost Ark was on. And I don't know how that hits you, but it just kind of struck me as kind of funny, you know? I can't believe I'm in a hotel room in Jerusalem, and Raiders of the Lost Ark ark of the covenant is on so i thought i would take a picture and there's this lyric on top of it this was breakfast herring and oil and pickled herring if you liked your herring other ways and uh let's go back let's go back was there any more pickled herring fish picks mackerel it's okay if there's not there's more fish trust me Plenty of fish where that came from. Go to that rainbow pic. This was a, a, a real pic. This was over Jerusalem uh, one of the mornings that we were leaving the hotel. And we thought, okay, that's pretty cool too, you know. A rainbow over Jerusalem. Not only is Indiana Jones on, but God gave me a rainbow to boot, right? So let's go. Uh, I don't know what, what else I sent you, Nicole. Okay, check this out. So that was the camel ride. <laughs> and you know what's funny is our, our guide was, uh, his name was Nahum, like Nahum in the Bible. And Nahum was a trip. Okay, he fought in the 67 war. He knew everybody in the entire country. He got us in places no normal people don't get to go, at least it seemed to me, like the Knesset. Like, oh, that's where Benjamin Netanyahu sits. Uh, an army base, like we got on an army base. 
he introduced us to the commander of the base, and uh, he was telling us, he was like, I'm going to see what I can get for you guys. Like, we people can't get on bases. So we get on a base. We meet the commander. The next thing I know, he's showing us a tank. They open the tank up. The next thing I know, the tank starts. They start driving the tank for us, turning the turret around, going up and down with the gun, explaining all the stuff about the tank to us. He got us in all kinds of different places. But at the camel shop there, uh, it was like, right, the camel shop, they, uh, we, get, we get off the bus, and Nahum starts talking to them in Hebrew, and they immediately, they all sound angry. They're arguing with one another. And it was $7 to ride a camel, but Nahum was determined to get us for $5 for, for his crew. And so they go to town. Finally, they refuse, and Nahum tells us, he says, nobody get on the camels. And so then he gets on the phone, calls the owner of the camels, and the next thing we know, they get a phone call, and begrudgingly, they're like, $5. (laughs) So everybody seemed angry all the time, but part of it was probably because Nahum was dickering, you know, constantly uh, getting the price down for all of us, which was wonderful. Uh, But here we are. This is, that's the Red Sea behind us. I mean, the Dead Sea. That's the Dead Sea behind us. We are at Masada, which is where Herod's southern palace was. Uh, Herod the Great, okay, Herod the Great, he had a southern palace, and it was on this, this hill called Masada's Mountain, which is also famous in some other historical references to uh, the state of Israel. And then uh, that's the Dead Sea behind us. We actually did go into the Dead Sea. We didn't swim in the Dead Sea, but we waited out there. And uh, it's unbelievable. There is not one fish in this enormous body of water. It is a dead sea, and very salty. As a matter of fact, I couldn't help myself. I'm like, you know, and it's disgusting. But let's go. What else do we have? I thought this was interesting. Okay, I'm assuming women... And men in the robe, you know. And so, um, all right, let's, what else do we have? Okay, that's the country of Jordan. We were a hop, skip, and a drunk jump. Literally, we were across the bayou, okay? It was really called the Jordan River. But we were really across, it's kind of like just right, right in the middle of the bayou is the Jordanian border. And the flag was there and the soldiers were there. Everybody had machine guns. Like ever listen, when we checked in to LL Airlines in Los Angeles, we flew to Los Angeles, and when we, when we went to the airport, LAX, when, when the counter opened, three guys with machine guns showed up in LAX to guard that counter. Incredibly secure. So they're asking us questions, you know, who's your tour guide? What's the lead guy's name? Well, I've known him as Tony. For many years, his first name's John. I didn't know that. So I'm like, Tony and John, Tony's over here. He goes, Donovan, my name's John. And I'm like, John, his name's John, you know. That's not suspicious, is it? Uh, 
But they asked all kind of security questions, and, you know, just it was incredibly secure. But, but man, LL Airlines, really nice, Re- really, really nice. So that was Jordan. Uh, what else do we have there, Nicole? Okay, there we are. That's uh, me and Mama on the Sea of Galilee. Well, is that the Dead Sea? Oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, 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 we're standing in the, in the Dead Sea. We're standing in the Dead Sea. Yep, we sure are. And all that water, I wish you could see how big it is. It's enormous, and it's all dead, not one fish. But, you know, it's probably not any different than fishing off the bank at James River down here. I'm just saying. Okay, so let's, uh, what else do we have? This, okay, this is the, uh, the Valley of Armageddon, Megiddo. This is uh, right when we first got there. This is one of the first things that we saw. Uh, go to the next one, Nicole. Okay, let me tell you what this is. That's the Mediterranean Sea behind us. Megiddo's in front of us. We're really on Mount Carmel. Okay, this is where Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal. As a matter of fact, you went down and there was the Kidron, I think was, or the, the brook down there where he, where he was. And he sent Gehazi, his servant, to where we are and said, look for a cloud. Do you see any clouds? And a cloud came out of the Mediterranean back there where the sun is setting. And he said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. This is where that was. We were standing right there. It, it was incredible. This was maintained by uh, a, the, the Carmelite order, uh, a Catholic order that kind of maintains that site. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, th- this was interesting. This is our flight plan. We left LAX, flew over Canada, Greenland, Iceland, uh, over Romania and a lot of those Eastern European countries, uh, and finally landed in Tel Aviv. I just thought that was interesting, too. Didn't see that coming. You know, look out your window, and, oh, there's Iceland. That was, didn't plan on seeing that. Uh, I think that's it. Is that just some of the, okay. So just uh, an incredible trip. Uh, Just um, amazing. Every single day was mind-boggling. And uh, Israel is such a small place. There's so much to see and so much took place. You get to see so much when you're there. If you ever get a chance to go, I want to take a group of y'all. I talked to the guide about it. I said, we need to go. We need to bring a group. We need to sign up, and we need to go as a church. Like, that would be amazing. You know, we'll leave Brendan here to run everything. I know I do. Brenda did a great job. I, that's what I've heard all the way around. So much was covered. Um, it was he. He did a great job. And Lizzie and I appreciate the team really stepping up to the plate. Wendy and uh, I mean everybody did what just did an outstanding job. And thank you. You made our trip uh, a little easier by stepping up, just doing what we knew you would do in the in the first place. So. I want to talk tonight a little bit about, uh, we're not doing the Revelation study tonight. We're not going to pick that up until after the first of the year, but uh, there's so much. We're at Revelation 13. We're at some great stuff, and I'm excited about it. But as we've already seen, 
in our study in Revelation, there are many prophecies that have to do with the soon return of Jesus Christ. But if the, if the prophecies regarding his first coming are any indication, then the ones about his second coming are guaranteed. Because there was so much prophesied about his first coming, and it came to pass, like I mentioned at the very beginning, in such a precise manner. The, pro- the prophecies regarding his first and second coming are, are incredibly precise, uh, specific, definitive. The, the Bible that we just hold in our hands and take for granted, maybe it's on our phone, our devices, maybe you use an old-fashioned paper Bible. That Bible is a collection of 66 books penned by around 40 writers, most of whom did not know each other at all, lived hundreds of years and many miles apart. The books were written over a period of 1,500 years or so. We know there was one author behind it. The Holy Spirit inspired as men wrote. But these 66 books cover 3,500 years of man's history. We know they also reach back into the eons of eternity past to reveal things and also reach into the future to reveal things as, as well. I like the way Chuck Missler puts it. The Bible is an integrated message system. Think about this. An integrated message system. More than just some cliche like the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. But technically, the Bible is an integrated messaging system. Meaning every number... Every name, every letter, every place name, every space between the words, every jot, every tittle, every detail is there by deliberate design. Now, I used to struggle with this, especially as a skeptic. I'm like, well, the general truth of, the, of, the, of what God was saying is contained in this book. But you can't, you can't count on the actual letters and I mean, getting down to the details, the, the nitty-gritty, the, the crossing of the T, the dotting of the I, the space in between, you can't count on that. But I've come to believe uh, that it is. It's all there by deliberate design, and miraculously God has put it, uh, gotten it from the inspiration into our hands. This is a game-changer that can really rock your world if you think about it, because if you think of the integrity of the whole being preserved by our great God. And then you start looking at the prophecies that are contained in the book, then you have to realize that this book originated outside the confines of our time-space continuum or this time-space domain in which we live. It is a a book that is otherworldly. It is God-inspired. It is God-breathed. And that precision of the word is miraculous, but it's just incredible to me. And I want to look at some of that precision when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ. And I would like to entitle this message tonight, The Birth of the Lamb. So in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and declared, Behold, what? The Lamb of God 
which takes away the sin of the world. Most scholars believe that this took place after John had baptized Jesus and after Jesus had returned from being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, because it says he returned in the power of the Spirit, prior to his going into the wilderness, he was water baptized, he was filled with the Spirit, then he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days when no one was watching, where he overcame by the power of the Word, and then he returned in the power of the Spirit, which was the beginning of his ministry. And so right at that point, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John declared the end, the ultimate destiny of Jesus uh, being the Lamb, right there. Behold the sacrifice. That's what he was saying. Now, Jesus is walking into his ministry where he would be declared king, you know. People would say, uh, thank God he's come to overthrow Rome. But John saw it right from the beginning. Behold, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Like the animal killed in the Garden of Eden to cover the first sinners. Remember, Adam and Eve covered themselves in fig leaves. But God killed the animal. This was brutal. This was a first. Death was not part of the equation. But God himself comes and brutally slays an animal and skins the animal and puts the skins on a horrified and shocked Adam and Eve. I remember I grew up around hunters, and as a kid, watching my grandpa skin a deer or skin a squirrel or watching my dad skin a squirrel or skin fish. You know, it's one thing to scale fish. It's another to get a catfish, get the pliers out, and like that's, it's just a brutal process. Adam and Eve had never seen anything like that until God did it right before their eyes and then to their horror put the skins on them. The animal that was slain, behold, the lamb, the sacrifice, Blood has to be shed. Just like the lamb that was caught in the thicket, Abraham, give me your son. Going up to worship. Father, here's the wood. Here's the altar. Where? Where's the sacrifice? Son, Abraham said to Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. That has two meanings. The lamb caught in the thicket but God would provide himself. He would become the sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away. Guzik points out the original language combines the words to bear and to take away. Jesus bears sin, but in the sense of bearing them upon himself and taking them away. Again, Leon Morris says the verb take away, takes away, conveys the notion of bearing off. Alexander McLaren makes note, John does not say the sins, but the sin of the world. As if the whole mass of human transgression was bound together in one awful bundle and laid upon the unshrinking soldiers of this better atlas who can bear it all and bear it all away. The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of this Lamb has all the capacity to forgive every sin and cleanse every sinner, it is big enough for the whole wide world. Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist had quite 
a revelation, wouldn't you say, when you kind of put it in that context. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Behold, the Lamb of God. I think it's significant that this took place at the end of the temptation because, after all, what was the devil trying to get Jesus to do? Cheat, right? To find a shortcut. You know, all of these kingdoms I will give to you. That's what you've come back for. All you have to do is drop to your knees and worship me, and I'll give it all to you. And the devil said it because it was given to me. By whom? The first Adam. It was given to me and to whomever I choose to give it. I'll give it to you. That's what you're after, isn't it? And again, Jesus said, it is written. He went to the Word and he overcame. So as the devil was trying to get him to cheat, and he refused to cheat, he comes out of the wilderness. John says, behold, the lamb. He's not a cheater. He's a lamb. He's going to get it the legal way, the just way, the way the Father has designed it. He will die as the sacrifice. Quite the revelation. Richard Trench points out Jesus would give himself as the expiatory sacrifice, not only of the sins of his people, but of the germ of all sin in Adam's descendants, the sin of the world, the apostasy in Eden. Thus wide and deep is John the Baptist's vision. I love that. So here we're looking at the precision of the word and specifically at the precision of God's word regarding the birth of the Lamb. Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now, this are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Oh, I've got a, ah, I forgot. I've got a t-shirt I've got to show you. I'll do it next time. This prophecy took place some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And when Herod became suspicious because of the wise men, they're like, there's a king born in Israel. The chief priests and teachers of the law quoted this verse regarding the birthplace, they said, of the Messiah in Matthew 2, 5 through 6. They knew it would be in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. You want to find the Messiah. If you think he's been born, you need to first check in Bethlehem. And of course it would be Bethlehem, which is the city of David. Jesus is called the son of David, one of the favorite terms for the Messiah. And Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Jesus is the bread of life. He said that in John 6. Incidentally, Ephrathah means fruitfulness or abundance. And what fruit and abundance would be generated there in Bethlehem, Ephrathah? Now, with that in mind, I want to read what we would say is the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Let's just kind of plow through this right now. And it came to pass in those days 
that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Can I say it? Been there. Into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Been there. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, Valerie and I really were just there out in what they call the shepherd's fields around ancient Bethlehem. Do, do I have a pic of that? Here we are actually in a cave, which would be a, a shelter that the shepherds would use when they would put their flocks up at night. And literally, the shepherd would lie across the door of the cave or the entrance to the cave and become the door to the sheepfold. Jesus said, I am the door and I am the gate. You know, that was kind of the thing. The shepherd would lay across there protecting the sheep in case anything came, it would have to get through him. And so these caves were all around. And so there we are. I think we have another a video there. Let me show you this real quick. This was kind of cool, right? We're singing in the... See the guy in the red hoodie? He knows Gabe. Don't ask me how. I mean, he knows Gabe. So that's a shepherd's cave. That's one of those caves. You can, you can stop it now. Now, I want to mention to you another prophecy in Micah 4, 8, one chapter prior. It says, And you, O tower the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. 
this idea of O Tower of the Flock, I want to I want to focus on this for our remaining time. Apparently, 2,000 years before Jesus, there was a tower that was built that was a watchtower of sorts. It was placed in the middle of fertile pasture land. It's mentioned all the way back in Genesis chapter 35. It's it's amazing. It's mentioned in Micah, that verse we just read, 4 and 8. It was in the ancient city of Bethlehem, which was uh, uh, bigger than modern-day Bethlehem. And it was uh, on the road to Jerusalem just a few miles away. Because of our text in Micah, uh, our, the, the reading we just did uh, with the Tower of the Flock, <clears throat> is believed to have been the place the exact place. If you put Bethlehem with this Tower of the Flock verse, the rabbis believed it was the exact location where Messiah would arrive. Now, listen to this. Migdal Edar is mentioned by the Jewish Targums, these writings, and is translated the anointed one of the flock of Israel. Let me give you a quote. Targum Yanadam cited by Rabbi Monk, paraphrases Genesis 35, 23 and Micah 4, 8 like this. He spread his tent beyond Migdal Edar, the place where king, listen, the, this is not a messianic per se, like a Christian perspective. This is an ancient rabbi perspective. He spread his tent beyond Migdal Edar, the place where King Messiah will reveal himself at the end of days, the religious Jews believed Messiah would indeed come, their Jehovah would indeed manifest and reveal himself at the end of the days and rescue them. And he would do so by showing up at Bethlehem at the tower of the flock. Listen to this. Migdal Edar was this watchtower that guarded and became the place that the flocks that were used for temple sacrifice were guarded from this flock. This was not just any flock or herd. These were flocks that were kept by men who were specifically trained for the royal task, educated in what animals had to be sacrificed, had they, how they had to be cared after and taken care of and not damaged or hurt. And so these, these flocks were watched over. These flocks were used for sacrifice in the temple. They were outdoors 24-7. But the ewes that were about to give birth were brought into the tower to ensure safe delivery and protection. And our guide even said this. He said they were ceremonially and hygienically clean for the day. And the, the shepherds were raising these animals to be offered as sacrifices. And it was common for when a new lamb was born that the shepherd would wrap the lamb in swaddling clothes to keep it from being damaged, to protect it from injury. And it, it was those shepherds that were raising their flocks for sacrifice to whom the angel of the Lord appeared and said, let me tell you, what has just happened? There is a lamb wrapped in swaddling clothes that has been born. And let me tell you where you can find him. It's in the city of David. Now, 
The angel didn't say exactly where to go, did he? Or did the angel or did the angels? They didn't say exactly where to go, but it's very likely that the shepherds knew where to go. It would be the tower of the flock, Migdal Edar. It had to be because that's where Messiah was said to reveal himself. And so here's the precision of the prophecies of the word of God. Mary and Joseph are just obeying the law of the land. It's time for a census. It's time to go pay Caesar a visit. It's time to show up in Bethlehem at this particular time. She's pregnant, and on the way, she goes into labor. There's no room in the inn, but the the innkeeper says, but I know of a place that's safe where lambs are born. And they're escorted to the tower. And Mary gives birth. And a lamb who was born to take away the sin of the world was born at exactly the place prophesied 700 years before to Micah the prophet that God in His infinite wisdom and eternal understanding had already predestined and planned would be the exact spot where the lamb would be born. Now here's my point. If God knows how to make all of that happen, don't you think he knows right where you are and he knows the situation that you're facing and he already has an answer, he already has a solution to that dilemma that you're up against. Where your back's up against the wall and you're like, God, don't you know where I am? Yes, he knows where you are. He's known where you were going to be and he's already made a way where there seems to be no way. My admonition would be just trust him. He holds the whole world in his hands. He got the lamb to just the right place at just the right time. The Bible says when the time was right, Galatians 4, 4, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. He knew exactly just where it was all supposed to take place. Of all, Did you see our flight path? I mean, Jesus wasn't born in Iceland. He wasn't born in Greenland. He wasn't born in Mexico. He wasn't born in the bayou. He was born in Bethlehem at just the right time. God knows the particulars of right where you are. The details are stunning. He has the details for your life worked out as well. The psalmist said, you know when I lie down, and you know when I get up. My days, you've already numbered them. You've, you've got thoughts like sands of the sea, thoughts of goodness towards me. If the Lord knew how to get Jesus born right in that spot, he knows right where you are too. Amen? Isn't that good news? The precision of the Word of God. As we dive deeper into the book of Revelation, I want you to keep that in mind. We're really going to plow through some, um, some of the interesting uh, aspects of um, not only the stuff on the surface of the prophecies, but some of the underlying stuff within the text itself that I've come across. Just mind-boggling how God has his thing. He thinks he's God, right? I mean, he's like really, really, really smart, you know? 
He knows the end from the beginning. He's got the advantage. He is God. He's omniscient. He knows all. And sometimes I think we undersell him. We, we, we put him down here on a level. I was just uh, thinking about some, some things uh, where I see us going next year. And I'm like, Lord, how are we going to do that? I don't know how we're going to do that. And then I, I took myself, literally today, I backed up a step thinking about what I'm talking about. I said, wait a second. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me right now? Oh, man. What a great, great Savior we serve. Did I have any more picks there? Oh, I said there was no room in the inn. That's in Bethlehem. I came across the Paradise Hotel, right? With the Christmas tree and the wedding bells. Or jingle bells or whatever. We also came across a whole bunch of Santa Clauses in Bethlehem, too. I thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> Bethlehem's 80% uh, Muslim and uh, Arab Christian and, um, and then uh, Jewish. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a strange uh, cacophony, you know, a, a mixture there. But, uh, yeah, it was just bizarre to be in Israel, in Bethlehem, 80% Muslim controlled, and Santa Claus is walking up and down the street. That was, I've got pictures of it somewhere, but it was, it was, it was a trip. <laughs> Amen. Let me say a prayer. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you, you hold the whole world in your hands. You come from outside of time and space. You created time and space, Lord. You supersede that, Lord. You're, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Lord, you reach into situations that nobody can reach into, and you do what nobody can do in those situations. You're a healer, a deliverer, a forgiver. And God, I thank God that you're on our side. I thank God that you are for us. I thank God that you're not a God of... Of, of, of hate and a, and a God that's a, a mean God. You're a good God and a gracious God and a merciful God. You remember our, our frame and that we are just dust and you're merciful. It's because of your mercies that we're not consumed. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. You have the mercy and the kindness to go with the power and the strength. And we are so forever grateful for that. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.